This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. A guest speaker is featured on this message. If you are new here, you might not know that we are part of a, uh, a family of churches, a union of churches, a denomination of churches. All, all the above would be fitting, I think. Um, a network of churches, but we're part of a, a family of churches, a union of churches called uh, Sovereign Grace Churches. And uh, so we, we, over the last few years, if you've been around, you're aware, have kind of uh, walked through some challenging times. But one of the things that has happened through that process is we have um, sort of put together a new polity. And our polity is a word that means how churches are governed. So how is, associ- how is an association of churches going to partner together and work together and govern together, that sort of thing. So we have done that over the past uh, couple years. And last spring, uh, that polity was accepted, uh, late spring, early summer. And um, we instituted something we'd never had before, which was kind of the highest governing uh, authority in our network of churches, uh, which is something we call a council of elders. And so that is each one of our churches, uh, and there's about 68 of them now, each one of our churches has a, an elder that serves on this council of elders uh, committee. And so with our new polity, we voted and chose an executive director who would serve at the behest of the council of elders and we had a 100% unanimous vote for Mark Prater. And Mark is here today. You're about to, about to meet him. 68 Christians. You get 68 Christians to agree unanimously on something. That, that was a miracle. That, it's actually going to make the church history books that uh, there was a unanimous vote on, on an executive director. It might be the first time in church history. So we are very grateful for that. And uh, so Mark serves... Uh, our group of churches in a couple of ways. He's an elder at a, he's an elder in a church. He serves as a pastor in a local church on a team, a staff pastor at Covenant Fellowship Church, which is in the suburbs of uh, Philadelphia. And then he also serves leading a leadership team uh, as our executive director. I happen to be able to uh, have the privilege to serve on that team with him. Uh, and he serves on a team that uh, enables us to sort of fa- facilitate our mission and sort of... Um, uh, you know, build for the future uh, together as a group of churches. So that, that's what he does for us. I've known Mark a lot of years, probably about 20 years-ish uh, we've known each other. Uh, we planted churches around the same time. So he led a church plant a number of years ago to Pittsburgh in the 90s, and I led a church plant to San Diego at the same time. And I'm, I got the better deal there, going to San Diego versus Pittsburgh. But um, so we, we planted about the same time. Then he returned to Covenant Fellowship Church, began to serve there as an elder, and has then served in our, in our region of churches. There's a lot of things I appreciate about Mark. I, he met with some leaders the other night, and I just shared how much I valued his leadership gift. He's, he leads very humbly as a, as a listener. Uh, not afraid to lead at all, but he, he really is a, is a man who's been used to build consensus and healing uh, and unifying uh, at, at this season for us, which has just been really wonderful, really a gift, and value that in him. Uh, what I found out yesterday is what I've always known is that he's an extremely gracious man. 
Uh, and this is where that was tested. Yesterday, I said, hey, you're in Dallas. We're going to show you something really cool, something really neat, something really big. You're in Texas. want to show you something big. So uh, we're going to take you down to Cowboys Stadium. And you're a football fan. We will tour it, and you will live for a couple of hours in Jerry's world. And you'll be able to see uh, the, the grandeur that is Cowboys Stadium. So we checked the times that you could tour. We found out when they were open. Uh, <clears throat> we did not look at the calendar what, for what scheduled events would be in the stadium. So we drove our hour there. And we pulled up, and there was cars, and I was like, wow, what's going on here? Um, middle of the day, it's not football season, and we just pulled up with a parking attendant and said, what's going on? Well, welcome to Monster Jam. The monster truck, <laughs> monster truck deal is happening at Cowboys Stadium. And so rather than pay our fee and go in and expose him to real Texas life, um, we, we literally spent two minutes driving by the building. But as soon as that happened, he said, hey, that is no problem. Let's, just, let's go get coffee or something. So, so gracious. I would have been thinking, well, my goodness, you drove me an hour down here. Could you have like, at least seen if there's an event or something? And so we drove our hour back and uh, had coffee and had a wonderful time. But just a gracious, gracious uh, man. And another thing I really appreciate about him, and then I'm going to have him come speak, is, Mark, I just appreciate your sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, uh, your w- willingness to eagerly follow the Lord and, and follow the Spirit in his leading. Um, and I think it was evidence just in God putting a word on your heart and you sharing spontaneously um, in our first service and our second service to what God does. So thank you for being a man of prayer, man sensitive to the Spirit. It's a joy to work closely with you as a friend and uh, learn a lot from you and really benefit. Thankful for you. So can we welcome Mark Prater as he comes to bring God's word. Oh, thank you so much. Open your your Bibles to Colossians 1. I told Craig in the first service, I'm not that gracious. Ask my wife, she'll tell you about that. Um, Listen, I I woke up, uh, well actually, let me me say one other thing, uh, first of all, because uh, I I got on the outside of Jerry's world, and he's, he's built quite a world there, hasn't he? Uh, it's very interesting. But I, I, I did find some hope for your church. I know you're probably mostly Cowboys fans, and I'm gonna, I don't want to offend you, but I have hope for your church. Here's why. Here's why. Listen, listen. There's at least one Steelers fan in this church. Oh, more than, more than one. Okay. Uh, oh, more than two. Well, I mean, hands are going up all over the room. All right. My hope is built on nothing less. I won't say that. It's, um, and then I also found out that Craig's oldest daughter's married name now is Prater. That, that, gave, that gave me hope as well. So this, this church is doing okay. That's what I would say. Listen, I woke up very early this morning, excited. Uh, I think I woke up early because I'm getting old. I've got to be honest with you. But I, I, I was just very excited to be with you. And I, if, if, if I came here and didn't preach and just shared... Uh, what I want to share with you now and flew home, it'd be worth it. Because what I want to do is I really want to thank you, uh, Grace Church, for your partnership with Sovereign Grace. It's, it's very meaningful to me personally. It's very meaningful to us as a leadership team. It's very meaningful to our family of churches. And I just don't want to say it in a broad way. I want to give you specific reasons why I'm grateful for you as a church and why you as a church strengthen our family of churches. Here's the, here's the first reason I'm grateful. It's because of your gospel presence here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Uh, one example, just by the fact that the bridge course is something that you do and is going to happen this afternoon, where people who may not know Jesus Christ as their Savior yet, that you've opened your doors to them and you've invited them and you are at, 
having the gospel go for it, at least that's one of the ways that you participate in gospel mission, that's a wonderful gospel presence. And that strengthens us as a family of churches. And your example as a church strengthens us. I'll, I'll tell others about what you're doing here in sovereign grace, and that will strengthen us. So thank you for that. Here's a second reason I'm grateful. As, as Craig mentioned, he uh, serves with me on the leadership team, and, uh, which, is, which is a joy for me to, to serve alongside of Craig. And he is doing a wonderful job. He's, he's bringing some real leadership to uh, his defined responsibilities and role. And, um, and it's, it's a joy for me to do it with him. I, when I thought about putting a leadership team together, I obviously want gifted and equipped men, but men who also I just love being with. And I love being with Craig. He's, he's truly a friend. And uh, it, was, it was a joy driving back an hour back to Arlington and back to you with you yesterday. No, it was really a joy. It's a joy to work with you. And I just thank God for you, Craig. But he, he couldn't do that without your prayers. Uh, so thank you for praying for him. And if you've encouraged him, thank you for encouraging him. The fact that a church is with him in this is very meaningful. The fact that my church, Covenant Fellowship Church, is praying for me, that's very meaningful. So thank you because you're strengthening him and, and he is having a, a wonderful impact on our family of churches. So thank you for your partnership with Sovereign Grace. Okay, um, I want to read you a couple of sentences and I want to see if you recognize these sentences, okay? Here, here's the first sentence. Our vision is to see Jesus' mission fulfilled in Frisco and beyond. Do you recognize that? That is your vision statement, so to speak, as a church. Here's the next sentence. Our mission is to follow Jesus on mission, which is really well said. When I read that, I thought, that's really well written. Our mission is to follow Jesus on mission, to make disciples who love Jesus, love his church, and love his world. Do you recognize that sentence? That is your mission statement as a church. And when I, when I read that, it told me something about you. It told me that you are not only lovers of God, but you are lovers of the gospel of Jesus Christ and you believe that God has called you to, do, to go and to do some great things for Jesus Christ and for his glory. So I wanna, that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about your life individually. I want to talk to you about your life as a church family. I want to talk to you about what God has called you to do in following Jesus in his mission. And to do that effectively, you have to know one thing. You don't have to know a lot of things to do wonderful things for Jesus Christ, but you have to know one thing and you have to know it well and you have to give your life to it and devote your life to it. And that one thing, as you know, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And by the way, when I, when I use this term gospel throughout this message today, if you're, if you're new here, here's what I mean by gospel. Gospel, the gospel is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the good news of Jesus, that he came to save sinners like you and me from wrath as we believe, when we turn from our sin and we believe in his death and his resurrection. It is grace given to those who don't deserve grace. That's what it is. And so the gospel is not just about salvation only we find that the gospel is something we continue to need the rest of our lives because we receive grace through it and that grace helps us to grow and become more like Jesus that's what I'm going to mention today several times and I want you to understand what I mean by the word gospel 
What I want you to see, though, today, especially from Colossians 1, that this, this gospel has such, a, has such a power to it. It has such an inherent, unstoppable power that if you harness your faith to that gospel, and if you believe in the power of the gospel, you as a church and you as individual believers, you'll go do and you'll do some radical, you'll go do some radical things for Jesus Christ in the mission that he's given you and given us as a family of churches. I, I prayed this morning, one of the ways I prayed for you is that this passage would, would stir you. Not my words, but these words here in Colossians 1, that they would stir your soul, that they would deepen your faith in the gospel, that, they would, that you would see that the gospel is just more glorious. Because what we see in these few verses we're going to read is that the power of the gospel produces growth. The power of the gospel produces growth. The title of my message this morning is Gospel Growth, and we're going to read chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to pray a simple prayer that you would you would come and fill us with your Holy Spirit. I pray for the, the work and the activity of the Spirit of God that, that would do this. And as we look at these verses more closely, that the gospel would become more glorious to us as we see its inherent power. And I pray that as the Spirit works in us as we see the power of the gospel. I pray that faith would be increased and faith would be stirred, that you would help us harness our faith to this powerful gospel so that we would follow Jesus in the mission that he's given us to make disciples of all nations and that Grace Church would reach Frisco and Texas and the Southwest and beyond with the gospel of Jesus Christ. May this church do radical things for Christ, and they, may, they, may this church do them for the glory of Christ. And it's in his great name we pray, amen. Well, Jill and I, uh, in May, will be married 35 years. We have uh, three married daughters and six grandchildren with two grandchildren on the way. And by the way, grandparenting is a great gig, by the way. It is so much fun and no responsibility. We, I love doing it. It's just, it's, we love being grandparents. Now, when our three daughters were younger, we did something in our home that you, you may do in your home. Every so often, we would take our three girls and we would back them up against a doorpost in our home and we would take a, a pencil and on that doorpost, 
that door frame, we would mark their, their height and we would put their name and the date. And then every so many months, we would ask them to come back to that door frame and they would stand again and we would mark their height and the date and the, and the name. We did that because we didn't see growth, physical growth in our girls each and every day. But when we stood them against that door frame and we saw those markers, we realized that they were growing. Now, Paul begins this letter talking about growth. In fact, if we, as we look at these verses, what we're going to find is, like that door frame, there are specific markers of gospel growth that he points out in the Colossians' lives as proof that the gospel is powerful, that it's bearing fruit and growing in their lives. The question is, why? Why does Paul open this letter talking about growth? Well, as many of you know, Paul was in Rome in a prison cell when he wrote this letter. Epaphras, the man who planted this church in Colossae and probably other churches in the Lycus Valley, he went to Paul in Rome to see him because he needed some apostolic wisdom, some apostolic help, because there were issues that the church was facing. And one of the issues that the church was facing and one of the reasons that Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians is there were these false teachers there essentially teaching that there's something more than the gospel that believers need to be fulfilled in God. For for example, the false teachers were were teaching that there was a a greater knowledge that you needed beyond the the gospel itself. We know that from chapter 2, verse 8, where he, he warns the Colossians, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental, uh, elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. He's warning them about this, this knowledge thing, this bogus philosophy. It's why he continues his prayer in verse 9 that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding that they would get their knowledge from God and nowhere else. Because he wanted them to see that there is there is, they don't need that to be fulfilled in God. They don't need this false teaching. They, they, they have everything they need in the gospel itself. You see, what these false teachers were doing, they were essentially shrinking the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what they were doing. And we today live in a culture that does the same. The world tells us things that we need that attempt to shrink the gospel. The, offer, the world offers us knowledge, and there's nothing wrong with knowledge. We only get knowledge, but our hope is not in knowledge. The world offers us knowledge and opportunity and hope for advancement, and those things seem to have this, this perceived power in them. And if we had those things, then we would be fulfilled, and the false teaching shrinks the gospel of Jesus Christ. The world tells us, the culture tells us there's something more that we need beyond the gospel. And so what Paul does is he comes running into the middle that, of this confusion that these false teachers are creating, and he makes a stand. And he makes his stand firmly upon the gospel of Jesus Christ alone. And one of the ways that he proves that the gospel is all that we need is that this gospel has an inherent power and proof of this power is found in verse 6 where this gospel does this. It will bear fruit and it will grow in your lives and beyond your lives. 
See, for the, for the believer, there is nothing greater than the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is nothing more that we need because it has an inherent power and it will help us grow. It will help us grow sort of qualitatively, if you can say that. Well, it will help us grow in godliness or Christ-likeness, but it also grows quantitatively. It grows outside of us and it reaches more and more people. See, like our kids, we don't always see growth, every gospel growth in our life each and every day. And like our kids where we need those markers to see growth, we need markers in our lives to know that the gospel is growing in us and around us because the power of the gospel will produce growth. So here's the question. How do you know as a disciple of Christ? How do you know as a church family? How does sovereign grace as a family of churches, how do we know that we are growing in the gospel? It's it's a relevant question for you because you are, as a church, you're going through this series on revive where where, where you, you believe that God's reviving and bringing about change and growth And I pray that as we look at these markers of growth, it will strengthen what what you're learning in that series. So how do you know if you're growing? How do you know if you're growing as a church? This text gives us three markers of gospel growth, and we're going to look at each of those. Here's the first one, first marker of gospel growth. Number one, gospel growth is seen in us. So in us as individual believers. So Paul's in his prison cell in Rome, Epaphras comes and he gives, us, gives him this report of what's happening in Colossae. And when he hears the report from Epaphras, he is not only grateful, which is the way that he opens his prayer, he is excited because as he listens to this report, he hears specific evidence. He hears markers of gospel growth that is happening in the Colossians' lives. And, and he thanks God in his prayer for those specific evidences of growth. Did you see that in verses 3 through 5, those specific evidences? Look, at, look, look with me again at verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Now, he specifically thanks God. Let's look at this. Since we heard of your faith, there's faith, that's the first marker of growth. We heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love, there's a second one, love, and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope, hope, there's the third one, because of the hope, laid up for you in heaven. You see, when when Paul gets this report, he says, look at the faith, look at the love, look at the hope that is in your lives and is growing because of the power of the gospel. And you you know this from reading your New Testament, that, that triad of virtues, faith, hope, and love, it's mentioned over and over again. It's mentioned repeatedly as markers of you growing or maturing as a believer. So if you want to know if you're growing as a Christian, one of the ways the New Testament would help you is just say, is there faith and is there love and is there hope present in your life in a a growing way? That's one of the ways that you can know if you're maturing as a Christian. You see, once God regenerates our hearts, once we turn from our sin and we place our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, then we walk with God and seek to take that grace and apply it daily in our lives as we desire to grow, we know that this unstoppable power of the gospel will produce growth in our life. In other words, our faith will deepen. 
Our love for God and our love for others, it will grow. Our, our hope will be more rooted and we will be more steadfast as the gospel bears fruit and grows in our lives. Now, don't get me wrong, we will sin. We will continue to sin. We will struggle. We may fall. But he who began a good work in us, he will what? He will bring it to completion because of the power of the gospel. See, the power of the gospel produces growth. So let me, let me recommend something to you. Maybe sometime this week, just get a, a few quiet moments with God, just alone with God, and take some time to do some reflection. Think about the last year of your life and think about ways that, that because of grace and because of the power of the gospel, you've grown as a believer. And you might be thinking, boy, is, is, is that going to stir pride? Like, man, look how, look how much I've grown. That's not what I'm trying to stir. That's not what I'm trying to cultivate. I think, I think if you earnestly do that and you think about ways that you've grown, that will turn into a worship event where you will thank God for his grace. Because when you see growth in your life, if you see faith, hope, and love in a growing way in your life, there's only one explanation that God in his grace is, is at work. And so you will give him much glory. So the gospel, the first marker of gospel growth is that it's seen in us. Here's the second way. Number two, gospel growth is seen among us. Gospel growth is seen among us. Uh, read with me verses five and six, and we're going to look at the second half of verse five. That's where we're going to start. Of this you have heard before, in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you as an individual believer, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does where? Look at that language, among you. It's growing among you. So what would have, what would have happened in that day is that once Paul wrote this letter, uh, most likely Epaphras brought it back to Colossae, and when he got back to Colossae, what would have happened is that the entire church would have been gathered, just like we're gathered here this morning. And this letter would have been read from beginning to end out loud publicly to the entire church. That's what would have happened. And I wonder what it would have been like to, to have been there on that day and to hear this letter open up. And I'm sitting there as a member and I'm, I'm hearing Paul read or hearing Paul's words through Epaphras where he's talking about this gospel that bears fruit and grows among you. Now, would you have sat there on that day and thought, yeah, you know, the gospel's at work in this church. There are people all around me who are growing in the grace of God, who are different than they were even six months ago. I, I think it would provide a, they, the, the church at Colossae really provides a, a wonderful example for us, something that we can model and do in our own lives. I mean, Think about it. Just, just take a moment and think about your own community group and those that you do life with, those who sit next to you a few times a month. Think about how they've grown. In fact, let, let, let me pick up on that um, and let me give you an assignment. And I have no authority to do this and if you don't do it, that's fine. Just make sure my authority is clear here. Here's, here's, what, I, here's what, I, what I want you to consider doing. Take a community group meeting sometime over the next six to nine months and devote one meeting to this. Devote one meeting to pointing out where you see gospel growth in others. We did this back at our church, at Covenant Fellowship Church, a couple of years ago. And so the community group leaders, a couple of weeks before the meeting, they sent out an email and they said, here's what we're going to do tonight. Come, 
with just specific evidences of how you see grace at work in other people's lives, how you see the gospel bearing fruit and growing. We're just going to share those. And the reports that we got back from our community group leaders is that this is one of their most favorite meetings of the year. Because people came with just long lists and specific evidences of how people around them were growing. And, and what the community group leaders told us, the only way that we could end that meeting, people were saying, we've got to end this meeting in worship. Because it turned into a worship event. When you saw how much grace was at work in those that were around you. So the power of the gospel is producing a gro- growth among you, Grace Church. And look for that and celebrate that. Now, the power of the gospel not only produces growth qualitatively in terms of us growing and becoming more like Christ, we know from the language that's being used here, it grows quantitatively as well. It grows in reaching more and more people. The the language being used here and bearing fruit and growing speaks to that. In fact, Peter T. O'Brien in his commentary says, fruit bearing and increasing were marks of the gospel. So think about that in your life, Grace Church, how that's happening. I mean, I hear Craig talk about about baptisms. A person baptized, recently converted in January. That's an evidence that the gospel's bearing fruit and growing among you. It's wonderful, isn't it? Now, I I find that that verse verse 6 in particular is very helpful for me. It it encourages me in a specific way. Let me tell you why. When it, when it comes to evangelism, I'm, I'm terrible. I, I stink at it. I'm not like Rob. I, I'm not like Jim Donahue back home. I invite people to church. Nobody comes. I share the gospel with people. No one gets saved. And so that can be discouraging. You can think, man, why am I doing this? If you can relate to me, I want you to be encouraged by, by, these, by verse 6 in particular, this bearing fruit and growing language because it tells you that the results don't depend upon you. They depend upon the power of the gospel. William Hendrickson says it this way. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul is placing all the emphasis upon the fact that by God's power and grace, It is the gospel itself that is thus bearing fruit and growing. The gospel never depends on man. Oh man, doesn't that unburden you? Doesn't it? The gospel never depends on man, not even on Paul. It is God's work in which he is pleased to use man. Doesn't that unburden you? Doesn't that help you? Doesn't that stir your faith that all you've got to do is continue to be faithful to reach out to those who don't know Christ and as he gives you opportunities, share the gospel and let the gospel do its work. See, the power of the gospel produces growth. Now, so we've seen these markers so far. Gospel growth is seen in us. Gospel growth is seen among us. Look at, let's look at the third and last one. And you see, you see this in the text. Number three, third marker. Gospel growth is seen beyond us. It's seen beyond us. Look again at verses 5 and 6, and we'll begin reading the second half of verse 5. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. Those are great words, aren't they? Whole world. As indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you. So keep in mind context now. Paul encountering the false teachers 
encountering their bogus philosophy that there's something greater and grander beyond the gospel that you need. Paul counters them by running into that fray and he makes his stand on the power of the gospel and he says, Colossians, that gospel that is bearing fruit in your own life, that gospel that is bearing fruit in your church, that kind of fruit bearing and growing, that's happening all over the world. It's an astounding thing. And when he uses words like that, the way it lands on me and maybe it lands on you is it reminds us that you and I, we are part of something far grander and greater than ourselves. We are part of the gospel of Jesus Christ that is bearing fruit and growing not only in Frisco, not only in Texas, but all over the world. That's a wonderful thing to be a part of. And it reminds us, when I read those verses, it reminds me of the mission that you have been called to, to follow Jesus in mission. It reminds us that we have been called to make disciples of Jesus Christ in all nations and in all tongues and all tribes. That's what we've been given to do, this great and wonderful task. In fact, Jesus said it this way in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Now, I think Paul is being very intentional to tell the Colossians about the gospel's effect all over the world because when you hear stories like that, it reminds you that you're a part of something grander and greater and it stirs your faith and it strengthens you as you continue to reach out locally and regionally with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I would guess, just based on how the New Testament is written, Paul told other churches about what was happening in Colossae because he knows it would encourage them in their gospel outreach. I mean, what's clear in the New Testament? As you read through the New Testament, churches are not isolated entities alone. They are very much connected to one another. There's this interdependence where we care for one another and we do mission together. That's what we're attempting to do in Sovereign Grace. And it's one of the reasons I love being a part of Sovereign Grace. Because we can share stories as a family of churches that will only encourage us and strengthen our faith as we go and make disciples of all nations. So what Craig asked me to do is to just talk a little bit about what's happening in mission and church planning and sovereign grace. Hopefully, those stories will encourage you and strengthen you in your gospel outreach here. And before I tell you about those, I I just want to point out something. Have you ever noticed that you don't get to choose when you're born or when you live in history? You don't get to choose when you live in history. You don't choose when you're born. And you really don't get to choose when you die. I think we are living in one of the most exciting times in redemptive history. Here's why. Church planting in particular is enjoying this resurgence, not only in the United States, but actually all over the world. And there's different reasons for that. There's been some of the fading relevance of traditional mainline churches that people are leaving, and that vacuum is being filled by gospel-centered, gospel-loving denominations and and, and other families of churches that are committed to planting gospel-centered churches, groups like Acts 29 that you would know, or the Southern Baptist with the North American Mission Board, or, or Harvest that's based out of Chicago, or Redeemer, Tim Keller's group in in New York. Those are gospel-centered groups who are planting churches, and Sovereign Grace is just one of those small family of churches that's trying to do our small part in the planting of churches as well as a means to reach the lost with the gospel. 
I mean, just to give you an evidence of how God opens different doors for us as a family of churches. It was a year ago. I was in Boston. I was there with Paul Buckley and Bauer Evans, who have planted churches in the Boston area for Sovereign Grace. And the reason, one of the reasons I went up there is we met with Rick Lentz, who is the, the dean of students at Gordon-Conwell Seminary. And um, the reason that he wanted to, to meet with us was very humbling. He wanted to meet with, uh, meet with us and talk about students that graduate with MDivs or DMINs who are not affiliated with any other denomination or group. How could those students potentially plant churches with Sovereign Grace? It's a wonderful humbling, exciting conversation that we had with him. Just in terms of how God has granted us favor and is opening doors in different places in the evangelical world. I want to talk about some of the church plants that have happened over the last couple of years. But let me, let me just say this. As Craig mentioned, the last couple of years in Sovereign Grace, they've been really hard. They've been difficult years. And uh, they may have affected you in some way. If that's, if that's the case, I'm sorry that's happened. God is being good to us in that through that difficulty and trial, he's exposing our weaknesses. That's a good thing. And we're attempting to address those. And we want to take into our future the lessons that he's trying to teach us. We we got to make sure that we grab the lessons learned from the last couple of years as we move forward. And that's what we're attempting to do as a leadership team. But what many folks don't know is that over the last couple of years, we've planted or replanted eight churches In fact, we planted or replanted more churches the last two years than we did the previous two, which is a a wonderful observation for this reason. That doesn't say anything about us because it was in the weakest moment of our history as a family of churches. It only speaks to the power of the gospel. That only happens through the gospel bearing fruit and growing, and therefore only God deserves the glory. And I think it's an expression of New Testament life. I mean, if you, if you read through your New Testament, these letters are being written to churches that have got issues and problems, and yet what's happening? Mission continues, and churches are being planted. So let me, let me tell you about some of the, the churches that have been planted over the last couple of years, and I'll tell you a couple of stories, because I think they will encourage you. We have, a, we have a church in New Orleans, Lifeway Christian Center. I'm sure you're familiar with that church. About a year ago, they, they sent out a church planning team led by Jeff Earhart, who planted in Covington, Louisiana, about 45 minutes away from from Lakeview. And they planted this church, and they began to reach out to the community around them. And Jeff recently emailed me, and he told me some stories about recent conversions, new people that are are coming to Christ as a result. And I want to tell you one of those stories. He said, "Our, our most recent conversion occurred last Thursday. So this is in the last few weeks. The men of the church met at church to discuss our study of the godly man's picture by Thomas Watson. Ten minutes into into the discussion on forgiveness, Brad interrupted me. Brad had come to the church the previous two Sundays with his family as a result of an outreach in his community that we did about two miles from the church. He was sitting right next to me and asked for prayer because of the hatred and the anger that he had for his dad. He told us that if he died that night, he knew he would go to hell because of his anger. I asked him a series of questions about his salvation, and he prayed with us all on the spot to repent of his sins and trust Christ for salvation. As the men gathered around him, and then Jeff just adds this, it was a glorious moment indeed. Indeed. 
You see, sovereign grace plants churches not because it's the thing to do. We plant churches because of people like Brad that we want to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we plant churches. We're planting a church in Nashville, Tennessee, Redeeming Grace Church, who's led by Dave Odom. They were sent from the church in Knoxville. And Jill and I were there on the send-off Sunday from Knoxville. They have a pretty good size team. They have 49 adults and about 49 million children on this, on this church buying team. There's a lot of young families and a lot of, a lot of kids. And I believe you have a family. The, 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 the masses are, are, are on this church plant there in Nashville. And they're just beginning to reach out to the Franklin section of, of Nashville. We're playing a church uh, in the Philadelphia area, Grace in Northeast Philadelphia, Grace Bible Church of Wissanoming. It's led by Dan Burkholz, and this Northeast Philadelphia is a, is a real blue-collar neighborhood. It's densely populated with row home after row home. And so Dan is planting in the Wissanoming section, and uh, when he goes to plant the church, there's this existing church there that's kind of dying, and they go to Dan, and they said, we want to give you our building. Church planters love that when people come to them and they say, we want to give you our building. And it's a test for us. Like if Dan said no to that, we would have re- rejected him as a church planner because that would have been dumb. <laughs> so they, 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 they give him this building. And I was there just a month ago, just, just last month. Just went up there. I didn't preach. Just was a part of the service. And I walked into this church building that's 90 plus years old. Been in the community a long time. And uh, they're, they're, they're rehabbing it. There's a lot of work they have to do to it. And I walked in, just met the church and spent time with them. There were like 60 to 65 people there that Sunday. They've doubled in size in the last two months. They went from about 30 to 60 or 65. And the people that are coming are people from that neighborhood. Some of them are just walking to the church because they had this presence in the community. The guy right behind me, I, I introduced myself. His name is Doug. He was about my age. And he was there for the very first time. I said, why are you here? He said, someone from the church just reached out to me and they invited me. And he began to, I said, well, tell me a little bit about yourself. So he told me that about his life, that he was, had been an alcoholic and he just had made a mess of his life. And the reason that he was there that Sunday is he wanted to come back to Jesus. And I said, well, if you want to come back to Jesus, you're in the right place. Because we sang the gospel that morning. Dan preached the gospel from Ephesians 1. And I drove home reminded again why we plant churches. It's guys like Doug who heard the gospel clearly preached on that particular morning. We're plan- you know that we're planting Redemption Hill Church in Austin, Texas, and, and John is doing a great job, by the way, in leading that church plant. It is, it is growing. Somebody told me it's about 90 folks. Is that right? It's just wonderful what, what God is doing there. We're playing another church in Philadelphia, Covenant Community Church in West Philadelphia. Uh, the Gonzaleses know Andrew Cavillage. Andrew is leading that church plant. West Philadelphia is different than North East Philadelphia. West Philadelphia is, is a really tough section, maybe one of the toughest sections in Philadelphia. It's crime infested, it's drug infested, and we sent out about 30 people, 30 members from Covenant Fellowship Church led by Andrew, and they're now planting uh, Covenant a community church there in West Philadelphia, and God is blessing their, their labors. We're, we're planning a church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Now, I had to go to my map to find out where Sioux Falls, South Dakota is, but we're planning a church there. Greg Durenberger is planting Emmaus Road Church. Don't you love that name? Emmaus Road Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. He was sent from 
the church in Minneapolis that is led by Rick Gamash to plant a church. And I think they sent about 20 folks over to, to Sioux Falls. They had their first meeting uh, about the second Sunday in December, if I remember right. And God's just blessing them as they, they reach out to the lost. Uh, there's a church being planted in Allentown, Pennsylvania. So Allentown's about an hour and a half north of Philadelphia. And a guy by the name of Emmanuel Suarez is planning this church. Now, he was sent from our church in Souderton, Pennsylvania. So Souderton, Pennsylvania is just a northern suburb of Philadelphia. And this church is led by, by, uh, by Jeremy Bell. And they sent, they sent out Emmanuel in, in the summer with about 30 of their folks to plant in inner city Allentown. Now, Allentown was one time a steel town. And now uh, the industry's left. And so it's an impoverished area. It's a tough area. It's a highly Hispanic area. And Emmanuel is Dominican Republic. His wife is Puerto Rican. They obviously bring a heart for Hispanic folks. And that's where he's, that's where he's planting. They got this industrial site building that they've converted into a community center. They obviously do their Sunday services there. But they believe the way to reach that community is through the kids and so they start this big kids club and they come into this community center and through them they're going to be able to reach adults with the gospel of Jesus Christ now I, I tell you that story because it's connected to the next story we're also we also replanted new covenant church in Annapolis Maryland so when I use the term replant I, I mean that an existing church exists and they want to be a part of sovereign grace and in some cases, rather than adopting them, we send in a church planning team that joins the existing membership. And the purpose of the replant is to put an outward focus and to, to reach out to the community. And that's what we did in, in Annapolis. So this, this replant is being led by Ed O'Mara. Now, Ed O'Mara was in Souderton with Jerry, Jeremy Bell. In fact, he was Jeremy Bell's right-hand man. He's like his executive pastor but had a heart to go, and Jeremy had faith to send him. And when they, they sent, and by the way, they sent Ed just a few months before they sent, they sent Emmanuel. When they sent Ed, his right-hand man, also who went with him was his administrative assistant, Jeremy's administrative assistant, and a worship leader, and, a, and, and another leader. So I'm, I'm on the phone with Jeremy. I'm like, dude, are you, are you sure? You, you're kind of cutting deep here. Are you sure about this? Because they were... Sending out people in April, and they sent out more people in June. It's not a big church. It's probably 300 people. And Jeremy said, yeah, I, I've got faith. I, I believe God will bless our heart to see the gospel spread. And so that church has been pl- replanted, and they are reaching the loss. There's a story in the mission fund that you'll hear later sometime this year about a, a young couple that came to the church, and the husband was converted as a result of hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We planted Grace Community Church in Clarksburg, Maryland, a suburb of, of D.C. And if you've been in Sovereign Grace any period of time, you might know Larry Malament. He is leading that church plant. And we've got a, a church plant that will begin next month. It's another one in Philadelphia. Christ Church is going to be planted by Jeff Betcher in South Philadelphia. So if, you, if you've ever watched Rocky and he's run through the Italian market, that's South Philadelphia. That kind of gives you an idea of what South Philly is. Jeff is planting there. Now get that. This is a, a great story. They, they, they're, they're getting ready to start, and they find this building in the, right in the, in the community they want to be in, in South Philadelphia. So they, they go to the owner, and they talk about what they want to do with this building. Obviously, they want to meet there on Sundays, but they want to have it 24-7 because they want to make it a community center. They want to put a coffee shop in there, just a way to draw the community in. And so the owner hears about this, who lives in South Philly, who owns this building. I don't know whether he's a believer or not, but he got so excited about it. He said, I'm going to give $25,000 of my own money to what you're doing here, just to help you get this building in shape. 
It's a wonderful expression of God blessing labors for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in, in the coming I th- next couple of years, I think we'll probably plant a church in Boston, uh, right in the city of Boston, a guy by the name of Sean Wu, very bright pastor, is in our pastor's college. He most likely will go back and do a residence uh, with Paul Buckley and then plant in Boston. Uh, we've got a group of people in Manchester, New Hampshire, a good, strong group of people that uh, we will plant a church most likely in the next couple of years if we find the right planter in Manchester, New Hampshire. So that's just, that's just the United States. I could tell you other stories of what's happening outside of the United States. And a part of the excitement there is our inter- international pastors are really sort of pursuing us and telling us how excited they are, not only about our new polity and structure, but about how they think it's going to strengthen us in mission. So I Skyped with Dave Taylor about three or four weeks ago. He's in Sydney, Australia. He planted the church there. And he's talking to me about how can we strengthen our partnership, Mark, because I've got four or five church plants in mind in Australia that I could see us doing over the next several years. It's very encouraging. Carlos Contreras, you probably know Carlos. He is uh, about ready to head to Spain, or maybe on his way now, to, to Spain in the Canary Islands to talk with a couple of pastors there about church planting in Spain. Now, why that's partly significant is one of the stats that Carlos gave me is that 1% of Spain's population are evangelical Christians. So it's a truly post-Christian world. It's truly a post-Christian country. Now, Carlos is just going to go to serve them. We don't know if those churches will ever be a part of Sovereign Grace or not. We just want to serve them, and I know we've got a lot to learn from them. So pray for Carlos if you, if you think of it. So why am I telling you all of this? Why am I wanting you to be aware of the fact that the gospel is bearing fruit and growing. Two reasons why. Here's the first reason. We must not forget the power of the gospel. We must not forget it. We must be reminded often that this gospel bears fruit and grows. And we must take our faith as individual disciples, as individual churches, and as a family of churches, we must take our faith and we must harness it to the power of the gospel Because if we will harness our faith to the power of the gospel, we will do what Jesus has called us to do. And so we've got to remind each other, we've got to remind ourselves, we've got to remind our family of churches of what we have in the gospel. Be reminded, remember what you have in the gospel. It has an inherent power. Terry Virgo says it this way, it is of no small thing to be the world's only light to be the fulfillment of centuries of ancient prophetic promises, to be heralding the day of the Lord, to hold the message of history in your hands. That's you, that's me. We hold the message of history in our hands and to be the world's one and only answer. It is our indescribable privilege to be caught up by the Holy Spirit in the greatest movement in history, the proclaiming of Christ to every tribe, people, and nation. Amen. Let us not forget the power of the gospel and let us harness our faith to it. And Grace Church, go do great things for Jesus Christ and for his glory. Here's the second reason I'm telling you this. In Sovereign Grace, we believe that strong local churches plant other strong local churches. We believe that. In fact, it's been our experience that our strongest church plants came from strong local churches. And so if you're sitting here in this church, it begs the question, so what do you do? I would say that you would do what Epaphras did. 
Look at verses 7 and 8. Just as you learned it, meaning the gospel, from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. Listen to how he's described. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Here was Epaphras, a faithful minister of Christ. What is God calling you to be? A faithful minister of Christ. See, your, your faithfulness is very important. Your faithful participation here and service to this church, it strengthens this church so that this church can plant strong local churches. I'm pointing this out to you for this reason. We've got to make sure that our definition of mission is not too narrow. Sometimes we think mission is only in the going, and it is. It's a part of the definition. Mission includes going, but mission needs to be sufficiently defined to include the staying as well. In other words, mission is both in the staying and in the going. Because as you, as a a member of this church, if you stay here the rest of your life and you faithfully serve, serve this church, you strengthen this church, and it provides a base from which other churches can be planted, and thereby you are participating in the mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I want to point out to you those things that may seem mundane to you or routine to you, they are not mundane things. They are not routine things. They are extraordinary things that you are doing as a faithful minister of the gospel. So your regular participation by coming on a Sunday and worshiping God with all your heart, your faithful participation in community group where you are sharing and living your life with other believers, your, sa- your sacrificial service to this church, your consistent evangelism where you're reaching out to the lost, your gi- the giving of your money, the passionate prayers that you bring for Grace Church, those are not ordinary ordinary things. They are extraordinary things. And as you do them, you strengthen this church family. And from this church family, you will plant other church families as a faithful minister of Christ. And through you, the gospel will bear fruit and grow. So if the Spirit of God, this is one of the ways I prayed for you, if the Spirit of God has stirred you today, and I pray He has, One of the ways that you can respond to the Spirit's activity is be faithful. And I know you are. Craig tells me about you. Thank you, by the way, for being a faithful minister of Christ right here in Grace Church. Now, I'm I'm, I'm sharing all of this because from this text, we clearly see that the power of the gospel produces growth, don't we? And I came into this pulpit, I want to be honest, with a couple of ways to close this time. And I asked for the Spirit to lead me in the moment. And I believe that, I believe that He is. See, as as I grow older, there are certain verses that are becoming more meaningful to me. And I'm writing those down in my journal and I'm trying to pray through them and try to, by God's grace, live by them. And I want to share one of those verses with you. Acts 20, verse 24. Now the context there is that Paul is in Miletus. He's on his way to Jerusalem, and so he stops in Miletus, and he calls the elders from Ephesus to come down and join him, and we know from that story it is the last time he interacts with them. It's the last conversation he has with them. He's on his way to Jerusalem, and we know, he knows through the Spirit's work in his life that imprisonment and afflictions await him. 
But this is what he says in verse 24 to those men around him. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. See, you and I were a part of something grander and greater than ourselves. May we be a people in sovereign grace who do not account our life of any value or as precious to ourselves. But let us, by the grace of God, let us finish our course. And that course is to do this, to testify to the grace of God in the scene in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And can I ask this? Can we... Can we do that together? Can we continue to do that together at Grace Church? Can we continue to do that together in our family of churches? And can we do it in a way that we reveal to the world the surpassing power of the gospel so that the glory all goes to Christ and not to us? Amen? Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.